everyone. Welcome to our podcast. I'm Daphne. And I'm Gina. And this is This Week in Skating. Today, we're going to be talking with Olympic figure skating photographer Melanie Haney about the World Team Trophy. This was Melanie's first time in Japan and first time photographing the World Team Trophy. If you aren't familiar with Melanie, you probably have seen her photos over at IceDance.com. Last season, she went to her first Olympics as a credentialed photographer. This year, she was also the event photographer for U.S. figure skating at Skate America, the U.S. Championships, and Four Continents. And when she's not taking photos for IDC, she runs her own photography business, traveling all over the U.S. as the event photographer for club competitions. And she also filled in for Gina and hosted the podcast, with me in the fall. So we want to welcome our friend, Melanie Haney, to This Week in Skating. I should say, we'd like to welcome her back to This Week in Skating. Yes. <laughs> Though Jackie still has the record, I think, three. Three. You're, you're catching up to Jackie. Yeah. <laughs> Something to strive for. Well, we wanted to have you come on the podcast and talk about your experience over at World Team Trophy. Gina and I have, you know, we've thought about the event because it's kind of like the punctuation at the end of a season every other year. And it seems really fun for the skaters. Neither of us have been, so we're not sure, you know, what the atmosphere is like. So we kind of wanted to learn more about that and, you know, hear more about your experience being there in Japan. Yeah, I, in a lot of ways, I didn't really, I thought I knew what to expect, but I really didn't know what to expect. Um, it was my first time um, at a skating event, skating event in Japan and in my first time in Japan in general. Um, I have had a few, uh, like childhood friends that have lived in Japan for different stints, although um, it's been a little while for either of them. So, um, you know, I kind of had some ideas of what visiting Japan would be like. It's always kind of been on my list, and especially to attend a skating event in Japan. You always hear the athletes talking about how um, skating in Japan is exciting and um a unique experience and often a favorite memory for a lot of athletes and so I really wanted to attend an event and um I kind of I started plotting to go to a major event in Japan a long time ago but um and I was kind of targeting the last worlds that were in Japan 2019 but I had a very small baby. <laughs> I, I think she would have been um, four or five months during the last world in Japan. And so my, and my husband and I did think about it, but um, like all like going together as a family. But it, we just decided that um, it was just a it was a little much. Four continents were also in the U.S. that year. Um, so we did that instead, and I figured I would catch maybe the next time Worlds were in Japan. 
So that was, of course, this year as well. And starting kind of last summer, we started talking about whether I might go to Worlds in Japan or we might all try to go as a family. And um, there's a lot of uncertainty because at the time, there were still COVID restrictions for Japan and um, we kind of had an idea that things might be lifted by this spring, but you know, it's a, it's a big trip as a lot of people um, might know, but some might not all three of us, when we go to large events like this, we cover our own expenses for the most part. Um, We we're not really paid in a traditional way, no one's covering our flight or hotel or anything like that. So, um, you know, I just wasn't sure that I was ready to commit to the trip. And then by the time it started getting closer, it turned out my husband had a conference that he wanted to attend the same week. And since we, our daughter is four now, it just didn't work out for me to be gone that week as well. So I kind of just said offhand well world team trophies in japan like just a few weeks later and it kind of checked all the boxes of an event in japan a major event top athletes attending it and i looked up flights and i found a pretty good deal and same thing with hotel i found something that was reasonable and then all of a sudden, my husband just started telling people that I was going to Japan for World Team Trophy, <laughs> which Daphne <laughs> and Gina are laughing because they met my husband, and this is on brand for him. When he decides something, he just goes for it, um, which is why we're such a great team, because um, you know I'm a lot more cautious and measured, and he pushes me to do things and step out of my comfort zone. And so then all of a sudden I was just, I had applied for a credential just in case I was approved and all of a sudden it was like I was going. And so then, and then I don't, you know, I kind of did my best to prepare for it. I tried to learn some Japanese. I made it to a 67 day streak on Duolingo, (laughs) but, um, you know, I got a guidebook. I read as much of it as I could. Uh, but it was still, it was way less time than I would have typically prepared for a trip that was this big and this important to me. So I went into the trip kind of very nervous and not knowing exactly what to expect. And, um, it really, everything just exceeded my expectations. (laughs) Um, honestly, I haven't even followed World Team Trophy closely in a long time. Like, maybe not since the first one or two have I bothered getting up in the middle of the night because it is always in Japan. It's always a really rough time change for us, especially the past few years. I've had a child to worry about as well. And so... um you know, I'll watch uh, if someone has a really great skate, I'll watch a clip of that skate. But I, I can't say that I've like watched the entire competition. And so I just wasn't prepared to be 
kind of swept up in it in the way that I was because I, especially among longtime fans, we kind of don't think of World Team Trophy as a real event, even though it is, and it counts for ISU season's best, and it's at the end of the season, and there's often a lot of great skating, and it's a lot of the top skaters. It still doesn't feel like a real event. It feels like a made-for-TV Kind of like the old programs. Um, in some way, yeah. Yeah, or like the old cheese fest, you know, like the, like I went to one in I think about 2006 or 2007 called Campbell's Cup and it was in Cincinnati and it was like USA versus Canada versus yeah like the ice wars maybe just USA versus the ice, ice wars, wars. yeah <laughs> yeah or like the yeah. old USA versus the world ice wars yeah um and so and that because that's how team events always were presented as competitions as like non-serious just for fun um i think a lot of longtime fans and even and even people involved with the sport in different ways have a hard time wrapping their head around the legitimacy of a team event and we even see it at the olympics when the olympics added a team event everyone kind of made fun of it or when people say they're an olympic champion you're like (laughs) oh well only in the team yeah and (laughs) You know, so um, I I was happy to go because as a photographer, all I all I need is great skating and great skaters and preferably great lighting um, to create great photographs. So the like the stakes of a competition don't always matter to me as a photographer always it it obviously matters to me as someone who enjoys the sport of course I like seeing high high stakes competitions because it's exciting but um I didn't really care about that aspect of it like going into the event and then by day three I'm like completely swept up in will Korea or Japan squeak ahead for the silver medal by that by day three the usa had already wrapped up the the top spot but like the korea japan came down to the last skate like it was it was super exciting i was very invested i mean i was still you know doing my job and being as professional (laughs) as possible but (laughs) but it was i was finding myself like often between skates i'm like frantically downloading photos um when i worked for us figure skating this season i was often literally like running from my photo spot to a table where my laptop was set up and dumping the memory card between every skater so i could keep the files moving on my computer so i could um pull the best photos and send them to U.S. figure skating as soon as possible at the end of the event. And so it's there's not a lot of time. Obviously, you get caught up in the skating while you're photographing it. But as soon as the music stops, you're in like turbo mode. And then sometimes I'm running to the kiss and cry and then trying to run back to my spot. And so um, since World Team Trophy was a smaller field, since I didn't have anyone that was going that was like literally waiting for these photos 
for me to send them in the middle of the night. I found myself like watching the Jumbotron <laughs> and watching all the antics and the kiss and cry <laughs> between the skaters. Like it was just, it was very relaxing. It was um, like relaxing in the sense that it was like non-stressful, but it was exciting. It was, and it was really fun to see the athletes like embrace this concept so wholeheartedly, even the ones that maybe were a little skeptical <laughs> at the beginning. Should I name names? (laughs) Um, Certain members of Team USA that maybe didn't want to go. But then um, by the end, we're just like, you could just see joy radiating from the younger athletes that didn't know what to expect and then came into this environment and ended up having a really fulfilling experience. Well, I was one of those that was not. Like, excited for World Team Trophy. You were on the call that Monday when you had gotten into Japan, and I was like, oh, I'm ready for this season to be over. I don't care about World Team Trophy. But as soon as I started watching it, I just love it. Seeing, you know, the camaraderie, the antics and the kiss and cry. Just, it was so much fun to watch, and I just can't even imagine what it was like to be there and to watch it. Um... So, yeah, the fact that you're all into it now, now that you've gone, you know. <laughs> yeah, like I genuinely want to go again in two years. Um, I do, I think, I mean, on one hand, I think it would be great if this competition could move to other locations because it is, it's very hard for North Americans to follow it when it's always in Japan. Um, but I, I mean, a lot of the setup of the competition, the, the prize money is quite high. Um, and I believe it's all provided by the TV station that, uh, sponsors it in Japan, which was TV SIE. Um, so I don't think the, the particular format would work in other countries. And so, and I don't think it would be fair to like have, have it be in Japan one year and for it to have all this prize money and then for it to move and not. Um, Because that is important to a lot of the athletes too, especially the ones that don't get fully funded for their training. Um, It's a huge opportunity for them to be able to uh, support themselves and continue training as a full-time athlete. So, um, I mean, not to be all like <laughs> practical, but it is, it's super important. Um, so it is, it's a great opportunity that exists in that sense. In our last episode, I mentioned to Daphne about why is it always in Japan and it'd be great to have it go to another country. Do you remember team challenge cup? Yeah. Um, I had forgotten about it, but one of the other, there were a few, um, just a couple of other American photographers that were at this event and one of them brought up Team Challenge Cup and kind of said it was a shame that U.S. figure skating didn't, wasn't able to make that work, um, more than once. I don't remember, but I don't, I guess I probably (laughs) did watch it, but I don't. 
I don't really remember it vividly. I guess it was probably yeah. around the same time frame, April. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think 2016. I remember going to the breakfast, um, the media breakfast about it, it after Worlds in 2016. And that was about it. But I remember it being like team, was it team Europe, team North America, and team Asia? It was a little different than the individual countries. It was more of a yeah. geographic locations. and But yeah, something like... Yeah. yeah. And I think that like having the regions like the Team North America, Team Europe, like that, I think it, you know, it brings up like the Ice Wars memories. It somehow makes it feel a bit further away from the athletic, like, yeah, real competition, you know, like, or yeah, just in terms of the stakes. Um, But now that we have this team event in the Olympics. I would like to see team events in skating feel like gain more legitimacy and feel more important because the athletes really get into them. And I think it would be, I would, I would love to see, it was great to see like, uh, Korea get the chance to participate in this event for the first time. And because they did so well, they were in the um, press conferences. So um, as a photographer, I'm obviously in the rink the whole time. I don't get to hear the comments from all the skaters in the mix zone. I only get to hear the press conference at the end of the day. The way they do it at World Team Trophy is there's just one. Um, at the end of each day and it's whoever's in the top three standings at the end of the day and it's just the team captains. So um, all three days it was the same top three. So it was Jason Brown for the US, uh, Jun Huan Cha for Korea and Kaori Sakamoto for Japan. And it was really fun to just, you know, I was kind of packing up my gear and organizing some photos but i i purposely stayed in the room until the end of the press conference because i really was enjoying listening to what they had to say and it was it was interesting to me that they took their role as captain like very seriously and um like i remember on the first day kaori saying something like like when she found out that she was nominated captain, she wasn't sure she could do it. And I was like, (laughs) (laughs) still me being a a team event skeptic. I'm like, this is, and you know, she was, it was interesting to hear like kind of the pressure that she put on herself to be a good captain and that she maybe felt a little, I think, she didn't she didn't say this directly, but kind of the impression that I got was that some of the skaters on her team were older than her, particularly Kana and Daisuke. And especially Daisuke. I mean, he's he's like a yeah. icon from a previous generation of Japanese skating. And so I think perhaps like reading between the lines, she was kind of intimidated to be put in a like in a position over Daisuke. Like what could she possibly do for him like so it was just it was very sweet and uh 
Jun Huan Cha was also, he just kept talking about how excited that they were to participate because they didn't, they weren't thinking about it all season. And then I think even, I'm sure even when they found out they might qualify, there was the, are we really going to send a junior dance team that's never done a senior event before? And are we going to send this pair that's never done any event besides Korean nationals? Um, and I'm so glad they did because <laughs> honestly, uh, Lim and Kwan were one of the delights of the whole event. They, I, I guess because it was, I think they really didn't feel much pressure because they were probably assured that, you know, I'll, you just have to, you yeah. just have to be here. <laughs> we just have to collect your points. Like, <laughs> you don't, we're not expecting anything of you. And they, they skated so wonderfully. Was any rhythm dance? <laughs> um, the, yeah. That I mean, it was, you know, like it was. It was just a little like shimmying to land music, but that's all most of the seniors did the whole season too. So, um, I think you know it definitely helped them that there was no pattern to learn. Um, but their free dance was was really well done too. I I actually I didn't get to see them at all this season, but I dance macabre is one of my favorite pieces of music and. Um, I loved the program uh, from the beginning of the year, and I was disappointed that I didn't get to go to Junior Worlds. So I was really, really happy to be able to photograph that program. Um, and then the pair team, Cho and Adcock, uh, I had no idea what to expect. <laughs> and they did a clean short with triples. Like, they <laughs> they absolutely belonged um, you know, the the free was they had a few more struggles, but um that's they're they're a new team and it's to be expected. Like it wasn't it wasn't hard to watch or anything like that. You know, it was it wasn't like I was concerned for their safety or you know, it wasn't like they had just thrown a pair together in like the three weeks before or anything like that. Like you know. It, they they just had a few more struggles in the free, but it was they didn't look um completely out of place or anything like that. So um I do think that it's really great for uh it would be really great for a wider variety of teams to be able to participate in these team events and that if we could somehow we <laughs> I meant not making any decisions, but if the ISU could somehow figure out a way to make the team events seem mm-hmm. more important that it might, um, I think, I think you, you do start to see it, um, in Olympic years, certain teams, especially like Korea did kind of prioritize getting a pair and a dance team together for, uh, the Olympics in Korea because they wanted to participate in the team event. I, th- I, the pair that skated, I think they were only together that year. Um, but the, uh, you know, you don't, I don't, I don't know. I, d- I don't know how much of a factor it is in, uh, other federations trying to add pairs and dance teams with, to be able to participate in the Olympics. But, um, I think we, could figure out a way to make this event 
seem more I don't I keep saying like legitimate and it it is legitimate but um just more important in the calendar that it, it might be a way that they can that smaller federations can continue developing the disciplines outside of singles and obviously there's a lot there's there's there are a lot of factors into um whether or not you can develop pairs and dance teams oh you you know you have to have the coaching to be able to do it safe safely um one of the problems in japan for a long time was that there wasn't the space that they pack so many skaters onto sessions because the rinks are so crowded in Japan that there wasn't the space to teach pairs and dance. And even as they started trying to have more pairs, most of them have trained outside of Japan. Um, Most of the more successful ones because ice time is a consideration. Um, So obviously there are all kinds of factors towards well why can't every federation just participate in all four disciplines but um yeah it was just it was just very sweet to see the koreans so excited about being there and that seeing how it really was important to them to be able to participate and to do well i mean their (laughs) single skaters were incredible um and to be able to that's finish huge. ahead of Japan. Was, yeah, I mean, huge. Every everyone was expecting Japan and the U.S. to go head to head for the yeah. top. Spot, I think so. Shoma Uno um, having to withdraw due to injury hurt them, but I also think if you look overall, they have been relying on the strength of their women and men, and now they have a pair team that is the world champions and a dance team that finished higher than in previous years i think that you know shows a lot of improvement we're still three years away from the olympic team event and we're two years away from another world team trophy so who knows what will change in that time but i can see both of those countries really upping the ante to compete with the U.S. and others so that you can't count them out. Yeah, one of the, and I mean, one of the other factors, too, is that the scoring system is different for World Team Trophy versus the um, the Olympic event, like uh, having two single skaters. And then, um, so World Team Trophy really favors single skaters in multiple ways because they have, two women and two men but then also because the difference between uh first and sixth in the pairs and dance events is only five points whereas in the singles events the difference between first and 12th is 11 points obviously so um you know korea could just kind of accept that they're pairs and dance teams were probably going to finish in the lowest spot and then but not have as much of a deficit True. to make up and then um but in these someone pointed out in the olympic team event 
I think I read this on Twitter, maybe that um, the Olympic team event favors the short program so heavily. Like you have the same problem in the Olympic team event because they cut the field for the free skates. And so then it's the same thing in the free skates. It's you have way less opportunity for the standings to change because there's just not as much of a even if someone has the skate of their life unexpectedly, they might only finish one point ahead of their rival that their their team is trying to get past. So, so maybe that needs um, to be looked at to give it more legitimacy and more to yeah, build more think- interest because it makes it like more is on the line, but there is an opportunity like no one is out of it. You don't have to go out and skate like you're already in fifth. You can skate like I could, mm-hmm. you know, you could be third right. or even second if the points are laid out fairly. Right. Like, I think I, was it, I think it might have been Pyeongchang when I think it was Alexei Bychenko, like, finished first or second in the short program in the he was second team event. Yeah. And so the the, the standings for the men... We're all over the place in the short program, but then in the free skate, it just wasn't, Mm -hmm. you know, everything kind of fell into more of the status quo because of the, the cut and the, the point differential being smaller and, um, yeah. So I don't, I don't know. I mean, if they go to just adding up scores, that would kind of bring some excitement in some ways, but then it would also heavily favor teams that have stronger men True. because the men score the highest. Um, you know, the, the scores, it's not like everything is out of a 10 or out of 6.0 anymore. Like it's the, the men have a much higher ceiling. And so if you have particularly strong men, you can really um, build up a higher, build up a lead in just that event. So I don't know. I do, th- but I think it, I, I think there are things that could be tweaked, and I think it would be interesting to see some changes. Um, one other idea that I had was that it would be World Team Trophy is so special, and because of the the hosting and the prize money and the just atmosphere, like having it in Japan every other year has every other year has worked so far but i was thinking like so in olympic years you have the team event and then in the next odd year you have world team trophy and then the next even year there's no major team event so what if in that in between year you added a team event to worlds wherever worlds is that's interesting yeah that was kind of like my idea i mentioned yeah uh Yeah, you mentioned adding it to Worlds. I think we have to have a team event every year to make it really have legitimacy. In this every other year thing, I know, and then we have the Olympics. So, yeah, I would like like that idea. Yeah. And then it also wouldn't be such a shock every four years for the skaters that end up having to skate four programs in, like, over the course of six days at the Olympics, whichever whichever discipline goes first, usually pairs, but <laughs> um, this past year was different. But because um, then there would be there would be another event that was kind of in the same format, at least 
every two years. And I think, um, if I'm not mistaken, I think that's how gymnastics does it. I don't believe, I, d- I don't think they have a team event at Worlds every year. I think they only have, and their team event mm-hmm. is, does feel very yeah. important and very high stakes, um, especially at the Olympics. But I think even at Worlds, too, I don't follow gymnastics super closely super closely outside of the olympics but i think they only have it in odd years um at their world championships so they have like they have essentially they skip one year i think they have a team event during the olympics which is an even year obviously and so in the the year before it they have a team event at worlds and then i think the year after and then the other even year gets skipped maybe i'm not <laughs> but I do I do believe that they're on some sort of calendar where not every world has a Yeah, but their team events in at the Olympics definitely seem so much more important sometimes it's than very even intense. the all around or just the yeah. individual yeah. things. I mean you were Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because right. they use that to qualify. Because you even think of like that yeah. those teams. Oh, what was it? Um, the '96 team and the you know they have the names uh, like some of the names, the Fierce Five or the Final Five, and so yeah, it just yeah, it's so much feels so much more important than I mean our team event, which is our team event is new compared to gymnastics, right. which has been doing a team event for a while. Yeah. But yeah, I like the idea of us doing some sort of team event every year, whether it be at Worlds or World Team Trophy. Yeah. Well, in the Youth Olympics, they have a team event, but it's different. Yes, I think they canceled oh. it for the next one, though. I don't think they're doing it anymore. But they, yeah, they. I thought of that, yeah. too. They have, like, the mixed teams. So it's at the end of their uh, Youth Olympics. Yeah. And it had been in the past couple and they kind of seed the skaters based on how they finished in their like in their regular individual events and then they put them together with like and give them like names like team hope oh, and team future yeah. but they're from different countries which i think is yeah um it's really sweet like because also because like the youth olympics they have like they go to like seminars and they it's it's they have, um, you know, it's it's really, it's really heavy and like the international friendship and the sportsmanship and stuff like that because they're younger and uh, they're not supposed to be like professional yeah. athletes yet. So um, they have more time to, you know, hold hands and sing songs. Yeah. Which yeah. Is, not that I mean anything against that, but, but in, <laughs> um, yeah. I also I went to a uh, went to the Olympic Museum in Tokyo. There was a the Japan Olympic Museum, um, which I think probably it, it seemed new. I think it probably just opened for the Olympics. Um, so the venue where World Team Trophy was was um, where they it, it's an old arena that hosted gymnastics in the 1964 olympics in tokyo and then oh. it hosted table tennis in the <laughs> 2021 tokyo olympics um and it's right next door to the large outdoor stadium the national stadium where they had track and field and um the opening and closing ceremony 
So right near there, there's an Olympic museum. And I went there and they had a big exhibit about the Youth Olympics, which is why I am speaking <laughs> like I'm an expert. <laughs> because, you know, I read a couple plaques. So. I was going to ask, Melanie, did they put ice down specifically for World Team Trophy in that arena? I assume so, yeah. I don't, um, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, I would almost bet on it because that, uh, the venue is also like, uh, it's like a health club. Like you can, I don't know if there are memberships or if it's just like day passes, but people go and use the, there's a pool somewhere, I guess. I don't know. Maybe they drain the pool to put the ice in. I, I don't know. Um, but I definitely saw I saw a sign or something. Yeah, outside, like I, there was a you know like because it's on this big like sports park grounds, and it said like this way to the pool, and it was into the uh, venue. So um, I think it, it's like a health fitness club. And the, the press room that we used, it was obviously some sort of, like, gymnasium because they covered the entire floor in, like, a plastic tarp that they taped down so we wouldn't mess up the floor. Huh. As we, you know, because there were um, <laughs> probably, like, 70 people in the press room, um, you know, at any given time. But um, And then the, the restrooms that were next to the press room that we were allowed to use. Um, they had lockers in them and showers and stuff. So, um, but yeah, I don't think it's typically used as an ice rink where people train or anything. It is, it's pretty large inside. It does, it does feel like an Olympic venue. Um, there are a lot of stairs. (laughs) A lot of stairs. So many, and I, I normally don't mind stairs or walking, but the the press room was so far. It was kind of in like a, almost a separate building that was like attached to the arena, and so in order to get to where we were photographing from, we had to go like up this set of stairs, kind of across this open area, which is where the mix zone was, and then then into the venue, and then up this very, very narrow two flights of stairs. Like, so narrow that I could barely carry my gear without, like, hugging it to my chest. Um, and then you're up at the concourse level. You entered at, like, ice level, and we had to go up two flights of stairs to the concourse, and then walk all the way around to the opposite end because we entered on one short end and our photo spots were on the opposite short end and then down two flights of stairs again to get to our photo spots at the end of the ice. So pretty much all of us just sat there <laughs> between events because there was only, I mean, it wasn't like a tip. It wasn't like a 15 minute Zamboni break. It was more like a 30 to 40 minute break in between. But most most of the photographers just like brought our laptops and we sat there and worked a bit between events rather than going back and forth. But yeah, but the lighting was great. Like it was it was they really well because they had just hadn't had Olympic table tennis in that venue in 2021. So obviously they know like it's it's not like the arena has been like 
in a state of disuse. Like they've just used it to host major events. So wow. they knew how to set it up. I, and I do have to say um, the like Japanese Federation media team that were so fantastic to us. Um, there were, I believe just five foreign photographers, three from the U S one from Europe, one from really? Korea. And um, so yeah, so typically, at um, obviously you guys know this, but for podcast listeners, typically at an ISU event, all of the um, briefings, the press conferences, um, the photographer briefing where we get like the rules of the venue, like all of that is done in English, no matter where you are in the world, um, because English is the primary language of the ISU. And then sometimes it's also translated into the host country's language i believe um i haven't done too many large events outside of the u.s or canada but um i think last i went to you did. France last year. it's a little foggy <laughs> i know I that think... might have been a little bit of a memory you don't want to remember because there was some covid but you were there <laughs> yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah i was there i can't but i do think i think they translated some of the stuff into french um but for this one, the uh, everything was done like in Japanese first, and the because it really there were just very few people from outside Japan. Probably because a lot of the the foreign press had already just come for Worlds a few weeks before. So, um, you know, it's it's far to get to Japan from basically everywhere besides Korea and China. So um, I would assume that's why it like attendance was a little light. Typically at like a even just like a Grand Prix event, you get a lot of people from different places around the world. Um, But they so they were doing the photo briefings in Japanese. They were calling the numbers for the photo draw like in Japanese which I was for the record I know my Japanese numbers up to 20 (laughs) and I was doing pretty well (laughs) understanding them (laughs) but um, there were two women in particular that were uh, very fluent in English and were very careful and like just going out of their way to make sure that uh, those of us that are not fluent in Japanese, <laughs> were, um, were comfortable and understood everything. And it, they were just very kind. Um, and yeah, it was, it was a, just a really nice, really, really nice experience. The photo spots in Japan are um, <laughs> never on the judge's side, <laughs> which is a drawback. But I believe that's a Japanese TV decision, not necessarily the Federation. So I won't hold that against them. Um, but I knew that going in as well. Uh, from our friends that have covered events in Japan before. So so you said there were three photographers from <laughs> North America? Yes. Me and Robin and George. <laughs> All right. All people we know. We know. <laughs> I was wondering. I'm thinking in my head, was it George? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, yeah. could you see the kiss and cry from your photo spots? I know, like, there was, like, TV people standing there. 
The actual kiss and cry where they got the marks was pretty much blocked by TV cameras for re- for reasons I don't fully understand. Sometimes they had four television cameras, shoulder-mounted television cameras, standing <laughs> side by side across the kiss and cry. <laughs> I'm not sure why they needed four nearly identical angles. Um, but... Yeah, so uh, we were kind of, we were straight on from across the arena. And so it was far because it was, you know, along the, it was across the longest axis of the arena and the um, we we're at the same height. So sometimes they'll, they'll prop the kiss and cry up a little higher. Sometimes the photographers, actually it's better if the photographers are a little higher and you're kind of looking down because then sometimes you can look over the cameras. Um, the TV cameras, but yeah, they, uh, just the way it worked, but we, we were looking up at the Jumbotron to see (laughs) what was going on in the Kiss and Cry. Um, but we had a good view of the team, like cheer boxes because those were like staggered around and, um, I don't know if like, so I, I think the USA one or was second. Um, last in 2021, I can't remember if they won or were second, but I believe they were top two. So I was kind of wondering if, cause the USA had one of the lower boxes and so did Japan. So I'm like, I was kind of wondering if like, that's like a Japan plus whoever the top finisher was besides Japan from the last one oh. get the lower boxes. I'm not sure because I know in the past, sometimes the US has had like an upper one cause I looked up pictures so the U uh, the U.S. won the silver, but the gold medal winner was Russia, and oh, so okay. they weren't there. So obviously. the U.S. would have been the, the highest, highest ranked, highest, yeah. and Japan yeah. would have been second. Like they were, yeah. So yeah, I don't, I don't huh. know, but it was funny because so the the kiss and cry was straight across from us in the middle, and then the USA was on the left. And Japan was on the right. And so when you're sitting on the short end and you're looking at the ice, it seemed like common, like it's, it seemed to me that everyone was going to want the, the photo spots that were all the way to the left because that's, that was closest to the corner and closest to the judge's side. Whereas if you took the photo spots that were on the right side, you'd be closer to the back side. Um, and so I was very surprised when people started drawing for spots on the first day and they were taking the ones that were further towards the back. And so then when my number got picked, I was able to get a spot like right on the front corner, which was, in my opinion, the best possible photo spot. And... um and then I realized, then I saw the photos that a lot of the Japanese news sources were posting on Twitter. And I realized it was because then they, from the right side, they could get the shot of like the the Japanese skaters uh, when they finished their program and they were doing their bows. They could get a shot of like whoever had finished just doing their bow and then all the other athletes in the Japan box like behind them cheering. Oh! So I think okay. that's why... 
the Japanese photographers prefer seem to prefer being on the right side, which was great because then I could get I, every day I got the spot that I wanted. On the <laughs> and it doesn't often work like that. I mean, at competitions, yeah. when you're in the draw. Oh, it never works like that. Because I went to never. 2016 Worlds and it was my first world and I did not have a good draw. And the spots that were left were you know, here, there, and everywhere all over the rink, and luckily Canon was on site, and that's when I got... <laughs> I got Is that when photograph- you got the big camera lens? Yeah. The big- that I needed the uh, monopod, because <laughs> it was so heavy, but also it was a great opportunity to try different camera equipment and shoot from a place that I never imagined. Because it was on a corner, but I also then looked down at where all the other photographers were. All of my friends, for the most part, were down all clumped together. And I just realized, I think I'm glad I'm where I am. Because it's, I have a little bit of space around me. And I'm not, I'm getting shots that no one else is yeah. getting. And I like yeah. that. There's definitely, and especially at the end of the season too. Like, I didn't hate, but I I had photographed some of these programs from the especially from the US skaters I mean if we include like practice like I <laughs> photographed some of these programs 8 to 10 times mm-hmm. but and I'd even been on the short end at Skate America but I was on the other short end mm-hmm. so I was getting all new angles um, and there was even there were a couple of shots that I really really liked and I was like oh wow I should have should have tried this earlier oh it was um it was Piper and Paul's free dance. Looked beautiful from my end. <laughs> I had no idea. Like I'd seen it earlier in the season at Skate Canada, but I'd had a I'd been on the left side of the judges at Skate Canada. And so I'd gotten a very different set of photos from it. And I I really liked what I was getting from the short end. So you you really never know. No. But you do it always I mean, just like the athletes that have to, well, they don't do a draw anymore because it's all like world standings, but it used to be, you know, or at smaller competitions where they do do a draw, the athletes all have a, you know, a certain positions that they prefer to skate in. It's, it's similar. Yeah. Photographers. yeah it's we like certain, fans. Fans have know, to sit in their specific know, places that they like. Yes. Yeah. I think, is it um, Jeremy Abbott's mom? that likes to sit in the Lutz corner like that's her spot oh I think so yes (laughs) yeah she's gonna yeah if it's not the Lutz corner I'm sorry because when she listens she'll she'll point it out but um (laughs) yeah different different people have different preferences and at some point we'll probably do probably this summer before the season kicks into gear really kicks into gear in the fall again um, we'll probably do a photography panel and just talk about, talk more about the importance of photo position and how, as a photographer, you may not end up with the position that you want and it makes you a little bit frustrated because you focus on the photos you're not getting while you mm-hmm. know other people are and you just you have to accept that and let it go. And that was something that was a struggle for me because I really wanted 
to get the best shots. But I also have learned that you make it work no matter where you are and get, you can still get great shots. It's just a little trickier, especially in ice dance, because the programs tend to face the judges. Yeah. And especially in Latin years, there's a Mm -hmm. lot of, well, and, and last year with hip hop, um, there's a lot more like side to side movement. And so there's a lot of like stopping and dancing, like, directly at the judges yeah so if you're if you're getting a side view of that or worse a rear view (laughs) there's there's just a lot less that you can use from Mm -hmm. those sections of the program and so it it starts to feel very stressful very quickly because you feel like you 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 think about all the shots you're missing Mm -hmm. and then you feel pressured to get as many shots as you can from other parts of the program yeah. But now I look at it in a different way. I look at it as, okay, this is the challenge and I'm going to get shots that no one else has if I'm in this position. And there are really cool things you can get because sometimes it's a lift or a spiral or it's something that you get the angle. You get the right angle because by the time it turns or moves into position for the other photographers, they're already moving on from what they were doing, but you got the shot because you happened to be in the right place at the right time. So the other thing I wanted to talk about um, from World Team Trophy was like, I didn't, I feel like I didn't, I thought I knew what to expect from like a Japanese audience and I didn't. (laughs) And it it wasn't like it wasn't better or worse. It, it was just it was just different. And um, I had so I'd been to I'd been to events that I felt like had a lot of Japanese fans before. Um, namely, I'd been to events that Yuzu or Hanyo had skated at. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I I thought I knew what it was like, and now that he's not competing anymore um the the japanese fan fan base has a different tone i would say (laughs) um and i i don't mean that in a particularly negative way it's just that uh the the there were there was a lot of very large group of fans that were really just about him um which is great. That's that's who they wanted to see. That's who they wanted to watch. Um, and then, and but that was my only or my primary experience with um, being at events that had a lot of Japanese fans, and uh, where it was a lot of people that were very intense because they would travel to wherever Yuzu was skating and I got beaned in the head with a poo bear on multiple occasions <laughs> at some of these events. So, um, and that being at an event, at an event in Japan where he wasn't skating, I think you just got a different, a different group of fans. Um, people who are extremely passionate about skating and extremely knowledgeable, um, but really just kind of equally supportive of 
so many different skaters like the and the thing i i really loved was like the the coordinated signs for certain skaters like there was a uh kazuki timono banner that just said timono um and so many people had them like th- like someone i guess someone coordinates like printing them and distributing them maybe i don't know if people have to buy them or if they just hand them out um but also every like so many fans had all of the flags all six flags and waved them for every single skater and so it wasn't overall the 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 crowd wasn't as loud as i expected like there were moments like between skaters where it was like really quiet <laughs> in the audience um but it was just so warm and supportive and i i really i i feel like i really understand why skaters love skating in japan is because you can you can go skate in a japanese competition and you can not do your best or maybe do your best but maybe not be one of the top skaters in the world or on your team and and just feel so much warmth and support from the audience um it started to get like a little louder on the last day i think as people started getting more excited um but it was just it was just so warm and cozy it was almost <laughs> like it was it was almost kind of intimate like almost like you were watching this competition in like a small venue, like almost like Skate America, which was this year, which was in a smaller venue, but it was it felt very warm and supportive and cozy because uh, everyone that was there was so into it. Um, but it was quite a large venue. I mean, it wasn't as large as the one where they had Worlds and it wasn't completely sold out, but it's still it was there were a lot of people in there, but it was just I don't know. It was just very cohesive. It was really, it was really a nice environment and it wasn't, it wasn't what I expected, but it wasn't like it was worse than what I expected either. It was just different. Yeah. I think we have all been at competitions where the Hanyu fans, they're just, they're just really passionate group of fans. And we've talked often about what life was going to be like once he retired because I mean, I remember being at an Autumn Classic and the fans were lined up the night before to go in. They're very, very passionate um, group of fans. And so you know, it doesn't surprise me that there was separation where you had the people that were, you know, watched him and he was their person, their favorite. And when he retired, they moved on. Um, they can support him in other ways because he's he's still skating in doing different things. Um, he's just not competing. So it's interesting to hear all of this that, you know, the fans are a little bit different. I know that um, a lot of the skaters who have competed in Japan before have said that the crowd is incredible. It's like the best fans are there. You just feel the support. And a few of the skaters that I've talked to recently have reiterated that, that they went to their first Worlds in Japan and it just, they couldn't believe it. Everything that they had heard was true and it was even more than what they were anticipating. Yeah, I think 
I think at a at a world, I think at least like, you know, just based on what I heard on TV, it seemed like the crowd was louder at Worlds. It was larger also, but it was also more international, I I assume. Like yeah. I I assume there were quite a few fans from other countries. Whereas um for World Team Trophy, it really just looking around at the audience, it seemed like it was mostly Japanese fans. Mm-hmm. Um so I think it was just perhaps like the the culture of like cheering at the absolute top of your lungs isn't quite the same <laughs> um, when it's a more like homogeneous crowd in Japan. But um, it still it was still extremely supportive and extremely warm. And I think I think that was what I just didn't expect. And I also, I kind of, I have worried for a few years, like, what, when Hanyu retires, is is the fan base in Japan really going to drop off? Because mm-hmm. obviously, we we knew that he was such a draw. Um, and I just, I just wondered how many, would there still be a lot of people left that were just as into skating for skating? And I... Based on this, I think the answer is a resounding yes. Like, I I don't think there's a lot to worry about at this point, about the, the fan base kind of dropping off the way that it did in the U.S. <laughs> after the 90s. Yeah. Um, I mean, maybe eventually we'll see that, you know, everything happens in cycles. We might eventually see that in Japan, too. But right, but right now, it still feels like the fan base is really strong. And the... One of the other interesting things to me was that there were like no children that I observed really? <laughs> at the event, which um, I mean, when you go to any event in the U.S. or Canada, you see a lot of kids because a lot of young skaters go to the events either with their families or just as a part of their club. Um, sometimes they come in large groups. During practices, you'll see school groups sometimes. Um, And so, you know, the first, the event was on a Thursday, a Friday, and a Saturday in Japan. And it started in, like, the late afternoon every day. But it didn't go too late. Um, And so I thought maybe, like, the first day I was like, oh, sure, it's a a Thursday. Japanese kids are in school for longer hours. Um, than we are in North America. Like, it, it makes sense that there's no kids here. But then, like, when there weren't any on Saturday either, or even, like, Sunday for the gala, <laughs> I was like, oh, I guess it's just not, I don't know. It's, I guess it's not seen as an activity to bring your kids to in Japan. Maybe it's seen, maybe it's almost more like a, um, you know, like going to the theater or the symphony in the U.S. more of like an uh, entertainment for adults, adults, you know, and and I'm not saying there were like there might have been teens in the audience. I'm I'm just saying that I didn't see like small children, you know. Yeah, there are always kids. Yeah, there's always kids. At competitions. They're always on the concourse that just the excitement, like watching them with their parents getting ready to go in and sit down. They're just so excited. Yeah, and that's I think how how you continue to build excitement in kids is the exposure to getting to watch it live. Yeah, 
I mean, and obviously in Japan, a, a lot of kids skate. So um, I get it's not I'm not saying it's a bad thing or anything. It was just it didn't. It didn't like really strike me until I think it was Saturday. When I was leaving um, my photo spot, we kind of had to we had to retrace our long path back. And so we were kind of going against the grain of everyone leaving the arena. Um, and so I ended up like kind of stuck in this one spot and I saw there was like one child that went past me, like maybe a nine or 10 year old kid. And I was like, Oh, that's the first kid I've seen. (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting because I think it could be just a cultural thing that kids don't, you know, yeah. I never pay attention to it watching mm-hmm. World Team Trophy. And now I'm wondering, was that the same way in at Worlds? Um, yeah, I wonder. So, I don't... so you did have a very cool tour guide, at least for part of your time there. You got to meet Yuriko, who yes. has been photographing for us at IceDance.com all season. She's a part of our team for next season. Um, and she showed you around a bit. Yeah, she just, um, she reached out to me on Instagram and just basically offered, um, you know, and I, I asked if she was going to the event because I, I was like, oh, maybe we can meet up for lunch before it or something. And she, she said she'd already gone to all of Worlds and she had, you know, she took way too much time off of work. She couldn't do this one too. Um, so, but she got together with me and I think it was Tuesday morning. It was my first morning there. And I had I had originally planned to arrive on Tuesday. So I had made a hotel reservation for Tuesday to Tuesday. Um and I'd gotten a very good rate on like it was like basically a weekly rate instead of a daily rate. And when I tried to add just one night to the same hotel it was going to be 400 around 400 dollars <laughs> um so, so i stayed in a different hotel on monday night i stayed in a capsule hotel which was another experience <laughs> um yeah we got to see that capsule hotel and yeah, i was yeah. going, i'm not a fan of that <laughs> setup but you did it for I, one night i it was great honestly <laughs> um but so I had to transfer, you know, she was kind of asking what my plans were for Tuesday. And I was like, oh, well, the first thing I have to do is move from one hotel to the other. Um, and she was like, OK, I'll come help you. Like, which was just. It was so sweet because um, it was exactly what I needed, but was probably too afraid to ask for. <laughs> right? Just <laughs> to to someone who's essentially a stranger. Like, can you help me? learn how to navigate the trains and also like pull one of my suitcases for me (laughs) because I cannot travel light as a photographer no I had you know a large rolling suitcase with clothes and then a small but very heavy rolling suitcase with camera gear and then also a backpack with more camera gear and my laptop and stuff like that so um you know it's I could have done it all by myself. I I did originally plan to, but it was much easier <laughs> to have someone physically just to pull one of the bags, but especially like going up and down escalators and the subway stations. But um, 
also to show me how to use the trains because there was there's some unique thing. I'm you know I'm a big traveler and I love public transit, and I can usually figure things out pretty easily. But the thing that I really didn't understand until I got to Tokyo was that there are different companies that run transit in Tokyo. There's like there's like a rail line, there's and this is how it is like in Chicago too or in New York, but it just didn't I don't know, it didn't click in my head. Like I didn't read a good explanation of it to really understand. But you can use the same transit card for everything, which is great. <laughs> um so um anyway, so she helped me she helped me get the card. She answered all my dumb questions about how to like tap in and tap out. So basically basically there's no transfers in Japan. Everything is like a lot of um North American transit systems where like if you switch lines or if you switch from a train to a bus, it's only like a quarter for the transfer or something like that or something sometimes it's already included in your fare. And so whereas Japan it's always you pay, you tap in, you tap out based on so everything is about how far you go. And so if you need to switch lines, you have to tap in and tap out. And then you switch lines and then you tap in again and you tap out again. So um, it makes sense once you do it. But <laughs> since I had, I was a little short on time to plan the trip, um, it was just, it was just really great to have a guide. And then she showed me around a little bit. We went to like the grounds of the Imperial Palace um she took me to a place she likes for lunch so it was yeah it was really nice it was really great to talk to um someone who also loves to photograph skating and loves to travel for it but has had so many different experiences than I have she's been to so many different events you know she's never been to U.S. Nationals but she's been to Bavarian Open and the Dennis Golden Ken, Spin. Um, and yeah. It's it's amazing. And then I asked her, I was like, oh, where's your favorite place to travel to? And she's like, well, I really like adventure. And I before the pandemic, I went to Africa. <laughs> and I was like, it's oh, amazing. <laughs> I've got a message her. I want to see the pictures from that. It had to have been yeah. cool. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she earlier this season had been posting photos on Twitter and I just reached out to her and said, hey, would you be willing to share some with IceDance.com because you're going, you know, I, I can't remember what the competition was. I think it might have been one of the JDPs and we always try to cover the lower levels as much as possible because those are the skaters that don't get seen as much. And so it started there and then it just continued after that. And we built up this, you know, I would check in with her or she would let me know when she, the next competition was that she was going to. And so I I just said to her near the end of the season, I said, you're a part of our team. So let me know where you want to go next season and we'll work on credentialing. Yeah. Yeah. Super great. And then we we had another uh, Harumi is another photographer that we know from Japan. Um, she also didn't attend the event, but she reached out to me online and gave me some suggestions of places to do. So it's just it's just really great, you know, the skating community yeah. 
we take care of each other. And we really do. Yeah. I got to see her roomie at Nationals because she did come to U.S. Nationals. It's the first time we'd seen her in, it had been, yeah, yeah, before the pandemic. So it was so good to see her. Um, The skating media community is so small. I mean, because the skating community seems bigger than it is, but the media community is even, like, even smaller and it continues to get smaller unfortunately and uh so it's always great when there are new people that come into the mix we can help grow it a little bit more and harumi and yuriko are just two new additions you know harumi's been with us for a little while but they're two um additions that have really helped us grow the content i mean harumi shoots everything in Japan, all of the, mm-hmm. the nationals and, and stuff, lower yeah. level competitions, she's really been instrumental in helping us um, have coverage and of the lower level kids. I mean, Kathy Reed is coaching some of those kids in Japan. Yeah, yeah I was talking about that with Yuriko, and that kind of goes back to what I said about like ice time and stuff. Is uh, It was actually Yuriko that was explaining to me that... Um, it's not just like the it's not just the tradition of not having strong pairs and dance teams because I I made some comment like like oh maybe Japan will get more pairs now that they have the world champion like maybe more kids will want to try it and she was like oh I think many do want to try it but it's just it's really hard to um to get ice time because you you can't have twenty kids on the ice doing pairs like it's not it's not safe that would be (laughs) so um so yeah she was commenting that um the rink that kathy reed is working at has been really good to her in helping her um like giving her time like obviously she i think you can always have more ice time yeah (laughs) but they're giving her some some ice time or access to some ice Mm -hmm. time that isn't as crowded so she can work with teams on teaching them the fundamentals of dance. So yeah, her junior team won a JGP medal this year. Yeah. Which is a huge step in the right direction. So is there anything else you want to share about your experience or thoughts that you have? Yeah, uh, I will say um, it took me a few days to, like, figure out meals <laughs> in Japan. <laughs> um, you didn't want sushi every day? Oh, I did. Oh, okay. Absolutely. <laughs> but it was just, I also, I didn't want to eat at places that were, like, just for tourists, you know? And I, it took a while to, like, get up the nerve to, like, try a smaller because then there's the language barrier you know if you go to a smaller place um but then i discovered google reviews i mean i know what google reviews are i didn't discover them but i discovered that (laughs) americans or english speakers leave google reviews in english on various restaurants and they're like and they'll you know they'll write in the review like oh staff was great even though we don't we didn't speak any Japanese like you know like they let us point to food or whatever so um it was just it was a little intimidating to be by myself mm-hmm. and 
um, to navigate that. Like most of the time when I've traveled, it's been, it's been in a place where even if I don't speak the language, like the, I can read the alphabet, you know, mm-hmm. so you can, you can sound things out. You can look things up on your phone. Um, you know, Google Translate does have a thing where you can point your camera on your phone at a um, menu and it'll translate it. But, you know, sometimes it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but it it was the once I kind of discovered that you could that. Um, in Japan, a lot, a lot of the smaller restaurants are more specialized. Like this, this restaurant has this type of food. This restaurant has this type of food. This restaurant has this type of food. So, you know, I started like just looking for sushi restaurants, um, on Google maps. And I found one, like, I found a really great one by the rink that was really reasonable at lunchtime. And I just went in and they gave me the menu that they, they took one look at me and they gave me a menu that literally was just three pictures and three prices (laughs) because it was like a lunch (laughs) combination. So it was Mm -hmm. just small, medium or large combination of sushi. Like (laughs) it didn't list what anything was. It just had a picture. (laughs) Um, And I was like, yeah, that's fine. (laughs) <laughs> that seems like a great deal. Um, so yeah, once once I got a little more comfortable, just kind of rolling with things, um, it was it was it was really great. It was great to kind of be uncomfortable with my ability to <laughs> navigate. A place and then just and then like experiencing the kindness of others you know like more than once i would have i would be peering at a map in the subway station and um someone would come up and say do you understand like do you you know because it's that's the thing too is that when you're in a place where you obviously look like you don't belong um it can be intimidating but it's also an opportunity for people to notice <laughs> that you don't belong and to offer help which you know many people don't but some people do so um and that way i think it, it was kind of um inspiring too to for me to try to continue to have a mindset of like off- offering help to people when i'm out and about in my daily life i'm i'm definitely i'm on the shire side when i'm not like one-on-one with someone so um i don't always like go out of my comfort zone to see if someone who looks lost actually is lost or if they're doing okay but um and the other thing too is is that i had read ahead of time that um crime rates in japan are, are very low and it's really it's really pretty safe to be like almost anywhere. And so I was staying in an area that um, had a bit of a reputation for maybe not being the squeaky cleanest area in Tokyo, (laughs) but I had read that it's, it's not as like seedy as it was a few years ago. And that really it's fine, you know, like for American standards, like, you know, I've, I've lived in, 
and currently do live in cities with very high crime rates. So um, once once I talked to some people, like they were like, you will feel absolutely comfortable there. And it was really and so I was prepared for that, but I wasn't prepared for like how freeing it was <laughs> to be able to walk from the train station to my hotel after the event at 1130 at night and not be like looking over my shoulder to see if anyone was following me like yeah to be able to I mean there there were people on the subway just like digging in their purses right like their purses just next to them and open and they're like looking for something and I mean I would never do that no in the U.S. Yeah. in most major cities like I I barely even open my purse out walking around on the street in major yeah. cities like yeah. you know i always have my hand on my bag and so it was just it was just so nice to yeah. not to be able to trust the people around you that when someone came over to approach me in a train station at night i didn't feel scared i felt like they were going to probably ask me if i needed help which i did <laughs> and that's exactly what happened so um that was super nice, especially in the the environment of like the what's been going on in our country with people, yeah, shooting other people for ter- for terrible reasons this week. Like it, the stories just kind of keep piling up. Um, yeah, it had to feel freeing. It had yeah. to feel like oh, this is what and, it's like. Yeah, right. I'm not, not saying that like nervous. Obviously, no society is perfect, and right, there right. are you know. There are other things about Japanese society that are not ideal, I'm sure. So, um, but like that, that one aspect, I was like, man, imagine just being able to trust the people around you. But yeah, that was, it was, it was some, that was something I did. I, you know, I like knew to expect it, but I didn't expect how it would make me feel. I would recommend to anyone that wants to, to go to Japan, even by themselves, because you'll fit, you'll figure it out there. But there are, there are some unique challenges, but, um, it was, yeah, it was great. I feel very lucky that I was able to do this. And I, I really hope that I'll be able to go back for another event, whether it's, a Grand Prix or World Team Trophy. And definitely next time Worlds are in Japan, I am there. Absolutely. (laughs) I'm not going to miss another one. (laughs) Well, we really appreciate you taking the time Mm -hmm. to talk to us about this magical adventure that you had and helping Gina and I learn more about World Team Trophy. Yeah. So that we'll be a bit more excited next time it rolls around. <laughs> I, will I have a new appreciation for it <laughs> now. I was part of the problem, too. <laughs> <laughs> one person at a time, Melanie. Just just get one person on board at a time. And I do agree with your idea of having it, having a team event in an off year would help continue the consistency and continuity of the excitement around it and legitimize it more. So, Gina, can you let folks know where they can find us? You can find us at our website. It's thisweekinskating.com. 
on social media, Twitter at this WK in skating and Facebook and Instagram. It's just this week in skating. We love your feedback or your questions. If you've got a question for Melanie, wanting to know something about World Team Trophy or just more about her experience in Japan, you can reach out to us on social media or email us at thisweekinskating at gmail.com and we will pass it along to Melanie. We really appreciate all the feedback we've received so far as we... We're getting to the end of season one. Season two, as you know, starts on May 22nd. We will be um, coming back to our weekly episodes at that time. Until then, we're going to be doing interviews like this one. So stay tuned for more of those. And as you know, we're also holding a contest. You can win our first piece of swag that we're offering up is in is uh this weekend skating mug and all you have to do is go to apple itunes and leave us a review it's very you have, simple deadline is may 21st first yes so you got time but and we've we've seen a few coming in so mm-hmm. we're getting excited so yeah just take a minute and do that we really appreciate it it helps get our podcast higher on the list and on the radar so people can find it. And with that, we've reached the end of our episode. Thanks for listening. I'm Daphne. And I'm Gina. And you've been listening to This Week in Skating. Have a nice week. <laughs>